Welcome to another author interview on Read It or List It. I'm Phoebe. And I'm Ashley. And in today's interview, we are so pleased to welcome the one and only Matt Haig. Matt's new book, The Midnight Library, released in September 2020 and has been absolutely everywhere. It is such a good book club choice as it is one that will elicit plenty of discussion. The Midnight Library does dive into difficult topics such as suicide, choice, and regret. The Midnight Library follows the story of Nora, who has found herself feeling like her life is going from bad to worse. At the stroke of midnight on her last night on Earth, she finds herself in a library, but not just any library, the Midnight Library, where she is given the choice to undo the choices she regrets making or missing out on. It raises the question, with infinite choices, which is the best life to live? As always, we want to protect our listeners and provide you with some context for this interview. While it is still hopeful and uplifting, this interview does touch on Matt's own journey with depression and suicidal thoughts. If you find this to be triggering, please join us in another episode. Here is Phoebe's conversation with Matt Haig. We are so excited to welcome the wonderful, amazing Matt Haig to read it or list it today. It is so wonderful to have you. Um, Obviously, I'm sure our listeners know exactly who you are and your mission and your books, but we would love if you could begin by telling our listeners just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, I'm Matt. I'm um, a British author. I am 45 years old. I have been writing for, I've never really had a proper job. So I think in in Britain, my first published book was when I was 26 years old. I've written um, lots of books, a depressing amount of books. I think, <laughs> I think the Midnight Library, I, I, someone once said, oh, recently said on Instagram, I saw them because it, it tagged me, they said, oh, um, I, I, I've read your, your first book, The Midnight Library. The Midnight Library is book number 20 in, <laughs> in, in my writing life. So um, although a, a good few of my early books were hardly read by anyone beyond my immediate family members, I have technically written 20 books so I've been you know Mr Struggling Writer for a long time and then um, I think book number 10 was a book called Reasons to Stay Alive which was my first non-fiction because I I write some non-fiction as well and that was the first time I spoke about my experience of um, depression and panic disorder um, when I was in my 20s and I became um, suicidal and I was in a a very ill place for Mm -hmm. about three years and then a sort of long meandering roller coaster recovery um you know I, I still wouldn't say I'm like in nirvana I, I'm not like a hundred percent perfectly um well and I, I I always say that because I I feel like um actually the thing that used to make me worse was the binary belief that you were either 100% well or you're 100% ill and I see Mm -hmm. mental health as a kind of like a garden that you kind of have to tend to um, continually and that and that's a good thing because you end up having a a, a better life because of it because you're being mindful of how you're feeling all the time and stuff like that so it's something I have to be aware of and yeah I've written children's books adult books Um, most recently um, the Midnight Library which is 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 doing um, better by my standards than most of my books certainly in America uh, especially so it's so nice to be um, properly having feeling like I've got uh, real support on um your side of the Atlantic and oh. <laughs> yeah it's, well, it's, it's it's exciting 
Yes, we are very grateful for your words, especially this year. Um, I think the Midnight Library is one that is so poignant for so many people, um, especially because um, I know that you had this idea for a while, being fascinated by, you know, how many, I always think of, I mean, and you quote Robert Frost in your book as well, the the road that diverged in the wood and you take the one less traveled and the possibility that we all could have these different lives but you know I will power. never I will never shy away from an overused quote I will, I will <laughs> my, my books are basically collections of my favorite quotes and yes. I, I, I put it all in there um yes and and borrow their wisdom um to reflect well on me um yeah that's my that's my tactic anyway sorry I cut you off rudely no um, not at all not at all I I'm also someone who is very inspired by words um, I'm an actor in my my non-reading life I'm, um, okay. so this particularly this book uh, was very poignant for me because my whole life trajectory has changed due to the coronavirus pandemic with Broadway sure. being shut down and you know things it's just very hard uh, to continue on right now so do you think that this book um coming out in 2020 and obviously like do you think it was just it hit people differently it was a more poignant um in the age of the coronavirus yeah i think so i mean uh yeah i, I dread some conspiracy theory emerging that, <laughs> that this was all <laughs> my doing my evil doing um no um it's interesting though because i i obviously wrote the bulk of this book in 2019 before i i'd heard the word covid and um before i knew anything about it but my last edit on this book was march 2020 so uh, and that uh, at that point britain because we were a bit ahead of you ahead of the states in terms of uh, when we switched into sort of panic attack mode yes we, but if we, we all could have just learned from everybody else yeah well that, yeah well i know same with us actually i mean obviously you guys were slow but we were you know e equally rubbish at um being alert and aware well well not individually but you know government yes. and um <laughs> um yeah so we saw it spreading across Europe Italy Spain Italy was like nightmare zone of France and then um yeah it was really kicking in in Britain when I was editing the book so I I had a sort of thought at one point I thought should I be mentioning this new reality should I actually mention the pandemic within the novel and I I said I, I quickly dismissed that and I thought, no, I shouldn't because I wrote this in 2019 before the pandemic and anything would just feel sort of tacked on or I, I, at that point, I didn't know, no one knew how long this was going to last. And I've learned over the years that if you're putting too much of contemporary news or contemporary life in your novel, you, there's no quicker way to date a novel than especially a contemporary novel. If, if you put too much um news references in obviously there are times when it's warranted depending on the topic of the book if you're writing about terrorism or something but you know with the midnight library it just didn't seem necessary mm -hmm. so um but i do feel like in that last edit i i which was quite a heavy edit i was very much in the mind i was, I was panicking myself i was worrying about my elderly parents i was mm -hmm. doing this that and the other and i think the flavor of the time sort of seeped in a little bit anyway on top of the fact that i think um people want reads which are kind of comforting which are about mm -hmm. acceptance 
acceptance of hard times and um, making the most of the situation you're in, which I suppose broadly the themes. And um, yeah, so I, I think that was sort of coincidental piece of yeah. serendipity there. Well, Nora is a character who really, I mean, I love her because she normalizes the idea that you know, we all have these regrets and I think struggling is okay. And I loved that metaphor that you used earlier that our mental health is a garden and, you know, there are, there are spring and and there's winter and, you know, you have to put in the effort uh, for yourself and for others to take care of that mental health. And I love that, you know, we're all, it reminded me of the play Constellations by Nick Payne. I don't know if you know that play, um, but just this idea that, you know, there's so much potential that we have. And I just, I mean, I, yeah, I so was, that's, a, that's a Jack, Jack Gyllenhaal, isn't it? Jake Gyllenhaal? J- yes, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Gyllenhaal. Yes. Uh, yeah. My, my rubbish British pronunciation. And yes, <laughs> and um, yeah, because I met, I met, I met Nick Payne about a book, another book I, I, I wrote called How to Stop Time, which um, he was going to adapt for a little while. So oh, yes, really? there's, we, we, yeah, we have. So there's some sort of overlap in our. Oh. Um, it, were, it was very, um, it was comforting to me um, to to find those. I'm always someone that's searching for, uh, like, what can I connect this to? Um, and I worked on Constellation, so I knew it very well. Um, and I love that, just exploring the idea, not being afraid of, um, I think a lot of people can be afraid that if you think of, you know, if maybe I had, you know, uh, like the the idea of the, saying yeah. yes to the coffee date or saying no to the coffee date, how would that have changed your life? And I love that line when she goes, must have been a successful coffee <laughs> like, <laughs> to end up with a family yeah. and all that. But it's so lovely. Um, and you really utilize your social media in such a positive way. I think I see one of your posts like floating around at least like three or four times a week because you have such um, such a way with words and obviously you're a writer. But what inspires these words like that you send out into the universe and hope that maybe they latch on for someone else um, and why the need to share them? Yeah, well, I I feel and it might be a sentimental thought, but I, I, I think basically writing full stop if you are being true to yourself if you are writing something that you would sincerely want or need or like to read if it's something that's coming from a place that you're actually feeling in that moment it's always going to connect with somebody outside of yourself if you know people you know I can remember when I was starting out as a writer and yeah and you read lots of advice and um you hear from agents and they say, you know, think of the market and think of this and think of a genre and read around that. And and all that's valid advice. But I, I, I genuinely think you're never going to actually mind read anyone else. Um, the only read you're truly, truly going to honestly really know is, is yourself. And so I, I feel like if you really are brutally honest with yourself about the stuff you want to put out in the world, uh, whether it's optimism, whether it's... Uh, skeptical whatever it is if it's coming from you it will connect with somebody else and ever since it's very strange um really but ever since i had um depression um my recovery from that made me an optimist because i had so many years where pessimism was the chief symptom of what i was going through um that 
I realized that not only was that pessimism dangerous because it was life-threatening, but it was also massively wrong. You know, the, the thoughts and the voices I had in my head when I was ill were um, were very depressing, obviously, by their nature, but they were also 99.9% of the times inaccurate. You know, I was convinced, going a bit dark here, trigger warning, suicidal talk, um, but I, I was convinced at the age of um, 24 that I wouldn't be around at the age of 25. And then you live to see your 25th birthday. You live to sort of like... Um, stay in a relationship you thought was going to crumble uh, but certain people don't desert you this doesn't happen that doesn't happen you become 30 you become 40 you become in my case now 45 and that makes you optimistic because you almost I almost became stubbornly sort of radically optimistic because it wasn't necessarily always in my nature it was something I cultivated um, as a sort of weapon and armor against um very very deep um catastrophic pessimism and so that's why i i feel like sometimes my posts and i'm sure they annoy some people but sometimes they sound almost like triumphantly optimistic it's because it's not because i think life is all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns it's because i know it isn't but mm-hmm. i know i know that perspective is such a key part of that and yes we can't I don't believe that you can uh, read an inspirational quote and then um, magically be fixed from um, depression or whatever it is but I I do believe that there are certain pieces of advice we hear from people or certain books we read um, that reframe a thought or if not reframe something at least um, make you feel less lonely, make yeah. you feel like you're not the only one. I mean, that was my primate when I started writing about um, mental health in my books. And, and I'd say most of my books aren't directly about mental health. But when I did start writing about mental health in my books, I, I think that was my first aim, really, to actually explain what it felt like, um, not to offer sort of magical solutions, but to explain the feelings of what it felt like, um, just to make people going through that feel less alone and make people who know someone who's going through that and they feel at a, at a loss of what to do or how to empathize to actually you know to offer a little window on what is often a very invisible experience yeah i think that is so important especially right now i think we're all realizing how much our mental health is our physical health and um i mean i know that anytime i see some of your words pop up it always it doesn't matter what everyone is going through there's some magic in those words that whatever you're experiencing in your life you can internalize them you know that like it's just a way that I feel like you have a really good way of putting um a generalized idea that can become very personal for anyone who reads it and my copy of the midnight library is so marked up I have book darts (laughs) all throughout it um of just words and quotes that I know I'm going to be able to go back to when I need them um but that's a lot of responsibility on you and I'm sure you are um very capable of this but um any like tips how you prioritize your mental health um 
I know I, I put this little quote in here saying that you can't pour from an empty cup, but yeah. you know, writing about these experiences, um, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, um, that's a lot on you. So how do you still prioritize yourself amongst your writing? Yeah, well, I haven't always been great at that, to be honest. Like, um, for instance, five years ago, when my career really took off in the UK, in England, um, you know, I was, I can remember, it should have been like an amazing time, because I'd been a struggling writer for so, so long. And then all of a sudden, this book, um, Reasons to Stay Alive, which did okay in America, but it did really well uh, in the UK, and became a number one bestseller. And it was all, it was, felt like a dream come true moment. And yet, I I was going through such a mental health dip that coincided with that. And I think it was related to it as well, because I felt like, oh, right. OK, so this book's um, helping other people. I'm getting contacted by people and saying it's helping them. And why can't my own advice work on myself? And I was having this sort of existential crisis and I felt, uh, yeah, I felt in a really um, strange place with it. And it was very draining getting back to people because a lot of the messages I was getting were the kind of messages, even though they were from strangers, that I couldn't really ignore because it was a lot mm. of vulnerable people. In one or two cases, it was like, you know, people in, in serious or immediate danger. And so it was like suddenly it felt like, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm just a writer. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, a, a psychotherapist. I'm not... Um, a neuroscientist I'm just a person who went through experience an experience who wrote about that experience and it was um yeah that year was very hard and I had to get lots of sort of advice uh from local mental health charities and um you know I'm much better at dealing with that knowing where my boundaries are and should be and yeah, I'm, I'm a lot better. And if that means occasionally not looking at messages, it means not looking at messages, but being very clear with people that I, I can't answer everything or get back to things and, you know, boundaries, which I've always been bad at with my own personal sort of boundaries. Um, I've had to, I've had to get used to saying no to things, for instance, mm -hmm. um, you know, again, going back to the early days where you're just grateful to get to, for anything you say yes you say yes in your early times of your career you you get yourself out there every bit of local press this that and the other and um yeah you just can't you can't do that forever especially if you know if you suddenly um in demand and being asked to things so i i've learned to have space for myself and not to feel guilty about it not to mm -hmm. feel guilty about every single unanswered email not to feel um you know, I, I think one reason I've written um, 20 books is because I've been quite a workaholic and I've been bad at work-life balance. And I'm starting to get better at work-life balance and to realise that I don't need to be validating my existence all the time by creating and doing. I can actually just sort of sit back and absorb and be, and that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. I think that will resonate with a lot of people. We are big fans of boundaries here at Read It or List It <laughs> and understanding that. Um, but so of all of these these 20 books that you've written um, with uh, be, uh, going from fiction to nonfiction and your children's books that are absolutely yes. lovely. Um, I had a, a friend of mine, I was like, I'm going to let you in on a secret. I'm interviewing Matt Haig this week. <laughs> and she was like, I would do anything. I love him. I love, she's read all of your books and is a huge, huge fan. Oh, wow. Um, 
particularly of the children's books, even reading them as an adult. Um, so do you have a favorite um, genre or I guess, yeah, I guess th- those would be considered genres um, that you write? Um, I don't really. I mean, what I really like and what I'm um, try and do with each book is to try and make each book feel like it's got something new about it not necessarily new in the wide world of books but at least new in my in terms of my own career and and because if you have that little bit of excitement almost like a a debut each time whether that's because you're switching to a new genre or you're you're doing something different so the midnight library i suppose that was the first time in fiction I'd spoken about stuff that I, I, I normally speak about in nonfiction, so speaking directly about the mental health stuff. And that gave it a sort of new feel for me writing it. But I feel like there has to be something um, fresh and exciting for me writing it. So, because I get bored very easily, which is, you know, probably comes across in my fiction where I have super short chapters. I like short sentences. I like short paragraphs. And, I, I, you know, I am very conscious of 21st century attention spans because I've got a 21st century attention span where we're in this world of distraction and we're um, freaking screen. So I, I suppose if there's a sort of theme or a genre, I suppose a lot, of, certainly in terms of fiction, my, my fictional books have one foot in reality and one foot in mm. fantasy so I'm, yeah. I'm never pure sort of like Tolkien Lord of the Rings or Narnia it's never pure fantasy it, it's it's always like I like that space in speculative fiction between a real world and a fantasy setting so the Midnight yeah. Library very obviously is that and a lot of my um a lot of my adult novels have that I I think I've only written one book that could be classed as properly realistic realist fiction that was a book that no one read called The Possession of Mr Cave which was my darkest it's the darkest book I ever wrote it's so pessimistic and um, even though I don't I, I think actually it's one of my better books in terms of the actual quality of the writing in it I can't actually look at that book now because it, it I was so I was still depressed when I was writing it and it, it's just you know unhappy ending unhappy middle unhappy beginning and mm-hmm. it's like why did I why did I put that out in the world anyway but um yeah generally I'm sort of like halfway in reality and halfway into sort of dream world but that's how I kind of feel yeah as, I was gonna say it's being. like a this like dreamscape idea of, um I think that uh, I mean, that's what I loved about it, that, you know, we all we all have a midnight library um, and we can all go there and find these little nuggets of wisdom. Um, but speaking of that idea of this dreamscape, so we obviously have the character Mrs. Elm, who guides Nora through the midnight library. She's the librarian. Um, if you had anyone in your life, who would you envision as your Mrs. Elm in your midnight library? Well, actually, Mrs. Elm was a sort of an amalgam of uh, people um, who have been in my life. And obviously, there's a bit of uh, fiction in there, too. But I mean, my, my grandmother, who um, died what, 22, 23, 24 years ago, but I can remember vividly um, as a child, um, my grandmother, because she used to live in the annex, uh, joined onto our house, mm-hmm. and she she has that combination w- which Mrs. Elm has of 
of love and toughness like she was kind of like tough with us as children I mean she was lovely as well and I can remember going into the forest and um picking she used to take us on um hunts for elderflower and we'd go back and make this lovely elderflower cordial which tasted like heaven and it was it was it was very nice I can't remember the recipe but it was a very simple thing that she used to do with us and we used to have lots of outside experiences in forests and she seemed to have infinite knowledge and but she was very sort of tough I can remember once um we had friends round and she was babysitting and we were sort of giggling with my my friends in the room and being too loud and she came up and I can picture her silhouette and she was like you know it's almost not quite Mrs Trunchbull but she was kind of like um very strict strict with us as well but in a in a way which was kind it was always coming from a position of love and so Mrs Elm's got that tough Mm. love thing going on and also there was a teacher, an English um, teacher, a literature teacher. I had at uh, what we call secondary school, senior school, and um, she was great. She was the first person um, I showed my writing to. It's a w- woman called Mrs. Kurzweil, and um, she she had a lot of a Mrs. Elm in her too. And she was the one when I was very insecure as a teenager and and didn't really sort of show off about reading and certainly not show off about writing um I, I i sort of secretly showed her stuff i was writing and she was very nice about it and gave me confidence at a time i didn't have much confidence so there's definitely a bit of her in her too so yeah english teacher and um, my grandmother love that all right i know you have a busy schedule today so just one final question and then we'll wrap up um something that we love to do here is um find song pairings for books um so when i was reading this book i couldn't help but think of the song hold on um so is there a song that you think of when you think of the midnight library or do you have like a writing playlist or anything like that ah that's a good question normally you see normally with a a book uh, certainly with a novel i do actually have a certain song in mind like I, I wrote a book called the humans which um i had the song um this must be the place by talking heads was the song that i had in mind i wrote how to stop time there was the boys of summer by don henley i had in mind with the midnight library um was i think it's not necessarily a song, but it's, it's more an instrument. I had the piano in mind because obviously she teaches piano. I was I was relearning the piano uh, via an app as I was writing uh, Midnight Library. And I was sort of like uh, trying to play very badly a lot of um, classical and pop music while I was doing <laughs> it. And I feel like, I don't know, piano. I think piano, that fits. Like yeah, an, I mean, I like, a che- like, the che- like the chessboard in there, but the piano um, is a perfect metaphor, isn't it? Because you can literally go anywhere when you've got those keys in front of you, like, just yeah. as you can in life. And uh, yeah, it can be can in break... tune or out of tune. In <laughs> tune. Like one out note tune. out of tune can throw everything Yeah, off. or you can play a chord and hit those notes at a parallel, simultaneous time. Um, yeah, so we'll That's go lovely. with some, piano chords I love that all right Matt well thank you so much for joining me today do you have any final thoughts for our listeners um well I'm I just think well if if you ever want to um 
write your own books uh, my advice would be to really really trust your own judgment because for years um in my career i was often um told to go a certain way or be like a certain other author and it did take me a long time to find my own space and have my own niche but i feel like i finally got there and i wouldn't have got there without sticking to my guns and actually liking what i like and it, and it's okay to write things or to read things that you know not everyone is going to have the same taste or not everyone is not necessarily for everybody you don't need to write for everybody and um you you essentially just need to um write deeply for yourself and hopefully that will connect with other people and then you will find um your tribe and that's the nicest thing about being a writer is you actually can can put yourself uh, even if it's just your fantasy imagination self out there on paper and then you find a sort of community of like-minded people in this day and age for social media and stuff like that who are along the same wavelength and that's the nicest thing about writing uh, and also I'll just say you know there's a cliche about bookish people being um introverted or shy or you know wallflowers uh, and antisocial and actually I think the opposite is true because I think I think books are our deepest form of socializing and mm -hmm. I feel like you know often we'll be socializing with someone who who died in the 19th century and we will be socializing with I don't know Tolstoy or the Brontes or something but it's we are connecting um to another mind and another human being and it's not about ourselves necessarily it's a way of connecting and and viewing the world and becoming part of that world again and so I, I think um reading and writing um to a lesser degree is a kind of um love in action and a way of connecting with people so that's my little um Ramble, that's, really. that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, the Midnight Library is available wherever you get your books. And thank you again for joining me, Matt. Thank you, Phoebe. It's been so kind of you for having me. I mean, you know how I felt after speaking with him. I sent Ashley a video of me crying because um, this interview with Matt just totally filled up my soul with hopeful feelings and also a new vocabulary for dealing with my own mental health and discussing it with others. And as you know, we're currently discussing audiobooks on Read It or List It, and this is a fantastic audiobook. It is read by Carrie Mulligan, who is a wonderful British accent, um, and even though it deals with such heavy topics, um, there's still like levity within the pages. Yeah, I feel like a book like this lends itself really well to audio. And I think that even when, especially in a time like now where we're, we're all collectively going through so much as a country, as a nation, having, um, or as a world, um, having a book like this to soothe you with a nice accent, but also like heavy hitting is perfect yeah it's a good thinking piece so as i said earlier the midnight library is available wherever you get your books thanks for listening next time original music by jake thorne podcast produced and edited by me ashley chandler and phoebe wright you can find us on instagram at read it or list it pod all rights reserved 2020